Welcome to God's Truth. I'm your instructor, Dr. D. Todd Harrison, as we continue to flood the world with God's truth. We're now in the second half of the New Testament this year and through the rest of the year as we look at what happened after the Gospels, after the life and after the ministry of Jesus Christ as the apostles begin to take and spread the word of God throughout all the known world at that time. And of that same Lord and God, Jesus Christ, I testify as one of his witnesses that he lives today. He rose from the dead. He sits enthroned at the right hand of our Father. He is our Lord, our God, our King, our Savior, our all. Let us worship in him as we study his holy word today. Let's look at beginning in Acts. This week we'll look at Acts 6 through 9. We're going to begin and be introduced to that great mighty apostle of God, the Saint Paul, Paul the Apostle. Uh, let's look here in Acts 6, and we'll begin with uh, verse 1 here. Turn to Acts chapter 6 and verse 1. And in those days, when the number of the disciples was multi was multiplied, we saw how Peter was bringing in 5,000 and 3,000, all these great numbers through his bold preaching. Uh, there arose a murmuring of the Greeks against the Hebrews because their widows were neglected in the daily ministration. And so it's always been oftentimes when it comes to racial prejudices and, uh, and, and things like that. This has always happened. And unfortunately, it has happened in the church here at this time. You know, the Jews grew up, you know, that they were not able to sit at table fellowship with the Gentiles and so here you got Greek members and the Jews have been taught their whole life to avoid them or they're going to be, you know, contaminated, polluted, become unclean, ceremonial, ceremonial unclean, according to the law. So uh, they're scared to minister to the Greeks. Uh, so they're neglecting their widows in the daily ministration. Then the 12 apostles called the multitude of disciples unto them and said, it is not reason that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. So they understand, understood this lesson very early on, that the principal and main role of an apostle of God is to preach the word of Jesus, to teach and testify of Jesus and of his resurrection, and not to serve tables, not to build up business interests and these sort of things. That is not the duty of an apostle. And they realized that early on, so they decided to call a President, you know, essentially, we would today call it a presidency of the 70, right? He says uh, uh, in verse 3, Wherefore, brother, look ye out among you, seven men of honest report, full of the Holy Ghost and wisdom, whom we may appoint over this business to run the business of the church, build up the, the business of the church, build up the kingdom, while the 12 went out and preached the word of God. He says, but we will give ourselves, so the 12 apostles' duty and role is to do what? But we will give ourselves continually in prayer and in the ministry of the word. That's chapter 6, verse 4. What great lessons are here in this verse of scriptures here in the beginning of this week's lesson. And the saying pleased the whole multitude, and they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Ghost, and Philip, so now you got Philip of 70 and Philip the Apostle, two different Philips, and Prochorus and Nicanor and Timon and Parmenas, and Nicholas, a proselyte of Antioch, so a Gentile convert, 
uh, from Antioch, Syria, whom they set before the apostles. And when they had prayed, they laid their hands upon them. Had he set people apart to offices in the church by the laying on of hands. Right here again, biblical doctrine. And the word of God increased and the number of disciples multiplied in Jerusalem greatly. And a great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. The priests, the priests, the ones who had rejected Jesus Christ, the ones who had been in, in concert with the Sadducees and with the Pharisees and with the scribes to kill and, and you know, to kill Jesus and try to, at the beginning, to put down the 12 apostles and the early Christians. And... Um, now they're joining in great numbers. A great company of the priests were obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of faith and power, and that's the second time they say that, right? He, Because he had full of, was full of faith and power, he did great wonders and miracles among the people. Then there arose certain of the synagogue, which is called the synagogue of the Libertines and Assyrians and Alexandrians of them in Sicilia and of Asia disputing with Stephen. No, this is not the Jewish. It's not the Jew. It's not the Jews anymore, right? Uh, they're they're Jewish by religion, but these are Gentiles now that are now dis, uh, disputing with Stephen. The Jews are starting to accept the gospel at this uh, at this stage, and they were not able to resist the wisdom and the spirit by which Stephen spoke, as he spoke by the power of God, and so it is with you. As you listen and only speak the words that God puts into your heart through the Holy Spirit, then no man can confound you, right? They, they can't dispute with you, for you'll be full of the wisdom of God. 11, then they suborned a man which said, we have heard him speak blasphemous words against Moses and against God, right? Same accusation they had against Jesus, right? And they stirred up the people and the elders and the scribes and came upon him and caught him and brought him to the council and set up false witnesses. <laughs> the same trick they learned with Jesus, right? But remember, they couldn't even agree with one another. Which said, this man seeth not to speak blasphemy words against this holy place, against the temple and the law. Exactly what they accused Jesus of doing, right? Speaking against the temple and the law. For we have heard him say that this Jesus of Nazareth shall destroy this place, this temple, and shall change the customs which Moses delivered us. But Jesus didn't say that, right? And, he, and, and all that sat in the council looked steadfastly on him, saw his face as it had been the face of an angel. So there he was transfigured directly in front of them. And, uh, and so his, his face is shining like an angel there as he's, uh, you know, remember what Jesus said, that as they deliver you to the councils, Take no thought beforehand what you should say or what you should speak, for Holy Ghost will come upon you and give you what you should say in that very hour. And that's what he's doing. So he's being full of the Holy Ghost and full of the Spirit, and therefore his face is shining like an angel. Okay. So that does chapter 6. Now we'll look at chapter 7, and now it's Stephen's time to speak, and he speaks and he you know recounts basically uh, the Jewish history and about Moses and the, and all the things God had done for the people and now we'll pick up here in chapter so go ahead and read verses 1 through 50 uh, on your own time and now in chapter 751 through 60 
Okay, 51 through 60 of chapter 7 says, ye stiff neck. <laughs> Watch this, right? So he's learned from Jesus, hasn't he? He's become the great, uh, you know, preacher and uh, speaks the way that Jesus did, just like uh, Peter's starting to do too. To do, and ye stiff necked and uncircumcised and hardened ears, ye do always resist the Holy Ghost as your fathers did, so do ye. You resist it, you reject it. So it is today. A lot of people don't come into the truth. A lot of people don't come into the true church of Jesus Christ because they resist the Holy Ghost. They don't want to have full truth. They only want a portion, a partial amount of truth. They want a little portion of truth so that it makes them feel good that they have some truth, but they reject the Holy Spirit, continually rejecting the Lord Jesus Christ and his church. Okay, so he says here in 52, which of the prophets have not your fathers persecuted? And they have slain them which showed before the coming of the just one of the Lord Jesus, of whom ye have now been the betrayers and the murderers, who have received the law by the disposition of angels and have not kept it. That you received the law. Moses received the law from God and from angels, and that's what he taught you, and yet you rejected it. And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, right? Now, when people get cut to the heart, they have two options. You can reject and fight against God, or you can humble yourselves and pray and ask God for forgiveness of your sins. They choose to fight, right? And when they heard these things, they were cut to the heart, and they gnashed on him with their teeth like animals. But he, being full of the Holy Ghost, looked up steadfastly into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing on the right hand of God and said, Behold, I see the heavens opened and the Son of Man, Jesus Christ, standing on the right hand of God because they're two separate beings, God the Father, God the Son. He sees two separate beings. There are two, God the Father, God the Son, and there's a third one, God the Holy Ghost, which is the one that's the Spirit. Father and the Son have a body of flesh and bones. The Holy Ghost is the one that has a spirit. But when you start to be in the false apostate Christianity and you start to combine three and one, one and three, now you take away the two bodies until you have the spirit, right? So so, what, so they're partially correct in the sense that the, God, the Holy Ghost, God, the Holy Spirit does have a body, a, a spiritual body, a body of spirit. But the Father and the Son have a body of flesh and bones. He sees the Father and the Son. There's no witness of anywhere in any of these prophets that ever having seen the Holy Ghost. They see God and the Son because they have bodies of flesh and bones. You can't see the Holy Ghost. And said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing on the right hand of God. Then they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears like children. Right? I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I can't hear you. And, uh, and ran upon him with one accord. And cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at a young man's feet, whose name was Saul. That's his Hebrew name. Saul becomes Paul. He changes his name to Paul, which is a Greek name from Hebrew to Greek as he takes the gospel from the Jews and takes it to the Greeks and the Gentiles. And 59. And they stoned Stephen, calling upon God and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, as they're stoning him. 
And he kneeled down and cried with a loud voice, Lord, lay not the sin to their charge. And when he had said this, he fell asleep. He died. He tried to imitate what he thought the Lord had said, right? But we'd seen before the Lord was saying, you know, don't lay this charge against the Roman soldiers. But he condemned the Jews for what they were doing to him. Here he's trying to ask God to forgive the Jews for trying to stone him. However, I guess technically we saw that not really Jews because there's really the uh, the the Greek, the um, the Gentiles, right? It said that he was disputing with the Gentiles, so it's not really the the Jews here. A lot of people think it's the Jews that killed Stephen, but technically speaking, it, you know, they're Jewish relig by religion, but they're Gentiles. Okay, let's continue on now and um, and look at verse. Eight, chapter 8. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time there was a great persecution against the church. It was, was, was at Jerusalem, and they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, right? So sometimes when people don't act, God has to steer things up, right? He had already told them at the end of Matthew, Go ye therefore and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost. But they're staying in Jerusalem, right? So he has to cause a, he has to allow the persecution to take place to scatter them out so they can finally get to doing missionary work. Except for the apostles who stayed in Jerusalem. And devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and hailing men and women, committed them to prison. Therefore, they, uh, uh, and so a lot of times people misunderstand Paul, and they think that, oh, he becomes converted. <laughs> he, he's had to change heart. He's like evil in one moment, and then he's righteous in the other moment, right? No. Paul was a very sincere religious man, both before he accepted Jesus and after he accepted Jesus Christ. He was just had been he had just been misled and and he was you know not wasn't willing to humble himself yet to listen to the Holy Ghost bear testimony of Jesus Christ. But he thinks he's serving God. He's serving God, and that's why God's able to use him because he wants to devote vote himself to God. They all had the tradition about Phineas. Uh, in ancient in, in the ancient times of Moses' day, remember when they're in the tent uh, committing adultery, he runs up with the spear and you know and, and spears them right to get rid of the uh, the wickedness from from the camp of Israel. So all these uh, devout uh, religious uh, Jews wanted to become the you know like Phineas, you know, the, as their great example, and they wanted to purge Israel from sin, and that's what Paul's doing. He's Got a good heart here as he's trying to persecute these Christians. Verse 4, Therefore they that were scattered abroad went everywhere preaching the word. Then Philip went down to the city of Samaria and preached Christ unto them, the Samaritans, bringing the gospel. Jesus, first, One of the first things Jesus did was to meet that Samaritan woman at the well. Now the apostles are going, now the 70 here, Philip is going to preach the gospel to the Samaritans. The Jews still won't go there, right? And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. We've seen that many times before, too, that God gives miracles unto the religious leaders. The religious leaders should be performing miracles as divine approval, as a stamp of divine approval 
upon the word that they preach, that the word and the message that they preach indeed comes from God. If you don't have the miracles, you don't have God stamping his approval upon your message. And he says here in uh, verse 7, for unclean spirits, so those who are uh, demon-possessed, crying with loud voice, came out of many that were possessed with them, and many taken with palsies, and them that were lame couldn't walk, he healed. And there was great joy in that city. But there was a certain man called Simon. Here's the great story about Simon. Which before time in the same city had used sorcery and bewitched the people of Samaria, giving out that himself was some great one, to whom they all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God, because he was somehow able to work miracles and so forth. To whom they had all gave heed from the least to the greatest, saying, this man is the great power of God. And to him they had regard, but because of that of a long time, he had bewitched them with sorceries. But when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both man and woman. What a great preacher, Philip's, uh, the Philip, the great ministry Philip has going on here. Then Simon himself believed also. So Simon, the sorcerer, believes in Jesus Christ. And when he was baptized, he even got baptized, he continued with Philip. And wondered, beholding the miracles and the signs which were done, right? He himself, the miracle worker, Simon, is admiring the miracles that Stephen's doing. For those are coming from the power of God. His miracles were from the power of Satan. Now, when the apostles which were at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent unto them Peter and John. Oh, maybe we should read that again. So even while they're trying to cover up, the real true role of Peter in the church. Some of these things link through here in the early chapters of Acts. So he says, watch what it doesn't say, right? Now, when the apostle, now, now Peter decided to send himself and John to, to Samaria, right? No, the apostle sent Peter, right? I said Peter, because Peter is a member of the Quorum of the Twelve, right? Or we're going to find out later on. And we're talking historically here once again. He is not the the president, right? He may be the president of the Quorum of the Twelve. He might be the chief apostle, technically chief apostle. You can call him that if you if you will, right? But he's not James, right? James is the one that's sending at James the brother, not James the brother of John. James the brother of Jesus is the one in charge. He's the one sending out apostles. He's the one that's sending out. The, we're going to see this later on with Paul. He sends out kind of like temple recommends saying that this guy's a true apostle or this guy's a true somebody all coming from James. He's the one sending them out. So the apostles under the direction of James sends Peter and John out to Samaria when they had heard that the Samaritans had received the word of God. 15, who when they were come down, prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Ghost. For as yet he was fallen upon none of them. Only they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. So Philip was baptizing them in the name of the Lord Jesus, but he was not putting his hands on their head and giving them the Holy Ghost. Then laid their hands on them. So how do you receive the Holy Ghost? Are you reading the Bible one day and the Holy Ghost comes and rests upon you? No, you can feel the presence of the Holy Ghost. You can feel the influence of the Holy Ghost from time to time as you read scriptures. That's different than the gift of the Holy Ghost, which can only come, just as it says here, by the laying on of hands. If you have not had those who... Hold the priest and authority of God, put their hands on your head, and grant the gift of the Holy Ghost to you. You don't have the gift of the Holy Ghost, even if you may 
fill him from time to time. So that's how that works here. 18, and when Simon saw that through laying on of the apostles' hands, the Holy Ghost was given, he offered them money. Watch this. Saying, give me also this power that on whomsoever I lay hands, he may receive the Holy Ghost. But Peter said unto him, this is great, thy money perish with thee, because thou hast thought that the gift of God may be purchased with money. Thou hast neither part nor lot in this matter, for thy heart is not right in the sight of God. Sounds like Jesus again, doesn't he? Repent, therefore, of this thy wickedness, and pray, God, if perhaps the thought of thine heart may be forgiven thee. For I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. Three years with Jesus, he learned how to talk like this, didn't he? We see that Stephen knew how to do that as well. Okay, 24. Then answered Simon and said, Pray to the Lord for me, that none of these things which you have spoken come upon me. Now he's worried about the the possible consequences of his actions here, and he wants he wants him to pray for him. And they, when they had testified and preached the word of the Lord, as we saw before, that's the duty of an apostle is to preach and teach the, the to to testify to testify Jesus Christ and to teach the word of God, not to build up tables, as they said earlier. He says here, return to Jerusalem and preach the gospel in many villages of the Samaritans. This is Peter, right? Okay, and the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise. Now watch this. Now watch this. Watch this, right? You're going to watch this coming up. And the angel of the Lord spake unto Philip, saying, Arise, go toward the south unto the way that thou go down from Jerusalem until Gaza, which is desert. So he tells him here to go down there. Later we're going to see. I'm going to have the, the uh, unidentified flying object show up again, aren't we? Okay, so that's he's telling him here, go down. You, you're going to do it yourself. You're going to go walk down there this time. Later on, we're going to come get you. He says here, they go to, um, and in 27, and he arose and went, and behold, the man of Ethiopia, a eunuch of great authority, under Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who had the charge of her, all her treasure and had come to Jerusalem for the worship. The treasurer, uh, the secretary of treasury, uh, or minister of treasury uh, for uh, for Ethiopia, powerful guy here, right? He came to Jerusalem to worship, and he was returning and sitting in his chariot for a break, and he was reading Isaiah the prophet. Then the spirit said unto Philip, go near, right? So spirit telling him to go, right? He's not taking him yet. He said, the spirit said unto Philip, go near and join thyself to this chariot. And Philip ran, ran right? The focus here is Peter is, is that Philip's the one moving around himself, right? We're going to see something coming up. And Philip ran thither to him and heard him read the prophet Isaiah. And he said, understandest thou what thou readest? And he said, how can I except some man should guide me? And he desired Philip that he would come and sit with him. The place of the scripture which he read was this, and so they quote from Isaiah here. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter, and like a lamb dumb before a shearer, so opened he not his mouth. Remember in the trial, he didn't open his mouth, right? And Pilate finally says, you know, look, don't you know I have the power to release you? Why are you not opening the mouth and, and speaking here? In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. Here we go again. Here's an important one. We looked at this when we did Isaiah before, too. He that he and she that hath ears to hear what the Spirit speaketh will 
We'll get something here. Okay, here we go. In his humiliation, his judgment was taken away. And who shall declare his generation? For his life is taken from the earth, right? Right? I hope you caught that, right? Who shall declare his, Jesus Christ, generation? For his life is taken from the earth, right? The fathers are the ones who declare that this is my son, this is my daughter, and so forth. How is he going to declare his generation if he's taken from the earth? Okay, let's continue on. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, I pray thee of whom speaketh the prophet this, of himself or of some other man? <laughs> no, he's speaking of Jesus Christ. Then Philip opened his mouth and began at the same scripture and preached unto him Jesus. And as they went on their way, they came unto a certain water. And the eunuch said, See, here is water. What doth hinder me to be baptized? And so the question is put to some of you. What hinders you to be baptized, right? We'll put in the description in the a link in the description of this video. Click on that, on that link. Reach out to the missionaries and tell them that, hey, you want to be baptized too. You want to receive God's blessings in your life. You want to have this, receive this great gift of the laying on of hands to receive the gift of the Holy Ghost after you're baptized in the water like this eunuch here. And Philip said, if thou believest with all thine heart, that's the first principle of the gospel, faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, then you may, you may get baptized. And he answered and said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God. What a great testimony. And he commanded the chariot to stand still, and they went both down, uh, and they went down both into the water, right? They didn't stand on the beach and have them pour water on his head. No, they went down in the water because baptism only takes place by immersion, going under the water and coming back out, symbolizing the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you haven't been baptized into his death, burial, and resurrection, coming back out of the water, that's not true. Baptism, sprinkle, sprinkle, it does not bury you in the water. It's symbolizing Christ being buried and coming back to life through the resurrection. And when they were come up out of the water, the, here we go, <laughs> here we go, 39. And when they were come up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord caught away Philip. He caught away Philip, right? That the eunuch saw him no more, right? They Remember, they, they traveled 30,000 feet in less than a second, right? That the eunuch saw him no more, and he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip was found at Azotus. So the spirit takes him and drops him off at this city called Azotus. Earlier, he told him twice, go go yourself, go walk, go run, you know, and all this emphasis on that. But here the Holy Ghost comes, and remember, that's another word that they use. We often see chariot. We use uh, um, uh, cloud. They don't have the modern-day technology to describe these things. We saw with Jesus. When Jesus was transported around a couple of times, they talked about the spirit of God. And we see that with Nephi, also in the Book of Mormon, when he's transported by the by the Holy by the Holy Ghost, by the Holy Spirit, and whatever you know these unidentified uh, flying uh, objects. So here the Spirit comes, takes Philip away immediately, drops him off at this other city, Azotus, uh, and uh, 
uh, you know, and and probably because there was something happening at that moment, and he needed to reach the right person at the right time to baptize them and bring them to God. And so sometimes you, you have this. It, it, they didn't have time. God, God didn't have time to let him run or walk to the, this Azotus place. They had to get him there quickly to be in the right place at the right time. And so God meets all of our uh, needs at the right time and the right place. You know. Okay, so then. And uh, 40, but Philip was found in Azotus and passing through, he preached in all the cities till he came to Caesarea. Okay, now we go to chapter 9, and we're going to be introduced to the Apostle Paul, who's going to take over and be the main character for most of the rest of the New Testament coming up. Get a little bit of uh, water here again. Okay, chapter 9. And Saul yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, not because he's evil. He's righteous and has a pure heart, and that's why God's able to use him. If he were wicked, God can't use him, right? But he's doing this out of a good heart. And we got to understand that. It's not really a full conversion. It was a like a redirection, right? He, he, he thinks that Jesus is not, you know, is a pretender, a false messiah. Once he learns that Jesus is the true Messiah, you know, he's still got the right heart and the right spirit and the right work ethics. That It's just the orientation in his thinking that God has to just do a little shifting here, right, to let him see the light. So Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired him letters to Damascus, there in Syria, to the synagogues, that if he should find any of this way, that's what they called it, before they became known as Christians, was this way, this way. That's the, the name of the religion as it starts to, it's still part of Judaism, right? It's, it, you know, uh, Paul's going to basically be the founder of Christianity as a religion. Jesus is part of Judaism. He always said he was part of Judaism. He didn't try to find a new, he didn't try to break off a new religion, right? He was the fulfillment of the Jewish law within Judaism. He was their promised Messiah, of Judaism. He was a Jew. His religion was Jewish. It's Paul now that's going to reject the Jews and actually start bringing that together a new religion to go to the Gentiles about Jesus Christ. They're going to reject the, the law of Moses. And it's going to be a big contention coming up here with him and the 12 apostles as to whether it's important to keep the law of Moses or not, right? Because they're still part of Judaism, and they're still keeping the law of Moses, even though Jesus has risen from the dead. Paul rejects the law of Moses and teaches people it's not it's not important to keep the law of Moses. Therefore, branching it off, becoming its own separate movement, its own separate uh, religion. Okay, so they're going to the synagogue to find those who, you know, because they don't go to church, right? They go to the synagogue. They're they're Jews who accept Jesus as the promised Messiah. If they find any of this way that accept Jesus Christ, whether they be man or woman, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice saying unto him, Saul, Saul, why persecutest thou me? And he said, who? 
who are you, Lord? Why are you saying that I'm persecuting you? Why are you appearing in this light? You know, who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, this is great. I am Jesus whom thou persecutest. It is hard for thee to kick against the pricks. Right? And and uh, this is what is going to happen in the second coming. Right? We learn from Zechariah as well as the Doctrine and Covenants that all the nations of the earth will be round about Jerusalem ready to destroy it. Christ comes, lands on the Mount of Olives. Mount of Olives splits in half. The enemies go running for their dear lives. The Jews come up. Hey, you finally came. We've been waiting thousands of years for you. You're our Messiah. You're our King. You're our Redeemer. Thank you for coming to save us from our enemies. And then he's just going to lift his hand like this, both hands, right? And they're going to say, wait a minute. What are those marks in your hands? And then they're going to look at his feet. Whoa, wait a minute. What are those marks in your feet? And he's going to say, I am Jesus Christ. I am the one who was lifted up on the cross. I am the one your parents and your ancestors killed. I am the true Messiah, your promised Messiah. So here Paul gets that shocking moment here that the Jews are going to have at the second coming. And he's now trembling and astonished, said, Lord, what will thou have me to do? See? Because it's not going from, not, not a conversion. People say the, the conversion of Paul, like he was wicked one moment, righteous the next. There's no conversion here. Lord, what do you want me to do? I've been working so hard thinking I was serving you by killing the Christians and bringing them bound in chains and putting them in jail. You're here now talking to me face to face. What do you want me to do, right? No conversion. It's just now he understands that Jesus is God and that, you know, what do you want me to do now, God, right? He says, and the Lord said unto him, arise and go into the city and it shall be told thee what thou must do. Because revelation comes line upon line, precept upon precept, here a little and there a little. He's not going to come tell him his full life mission right now, right away. At this point in time, it's just, I am the Messiah. Stop persecuting me. Serve me instead, right? You know, and now uh, go into the city and then you'll receive further light and knowledge, further revelation. And the man was journeying with him, stood speechless, hearing the voice, but seeing no man. And the JST says, and they who were journeying with him saw indeed the light and were afraid, but they heard not the voice of him who spoke to him, right? So was, now again, that's of course another you know reference to the same thing. It's interesting, this theme just comes up over and over again. You know, we've been doing this now for a year and a half all the way through the Old Testament and the New Testament, right? God doesn't just go around speaking from lights flying around in the heavens, right? This, again, is this object. He's describing it as a light because it's, you know, it's like a white, grayish color uh, object, right? So that's what we got going on uh, here in these verses. So they, of course, saw the light because it was the physical object that was right there, right? They, it would have been impossible for them not to see the light unless they were blinded like Paul was. But God doesn't blind them because they need to be able to lead Paul into the city. Okay, hearing of, they saw the light here in the in, uh, and that's in the JST, right? Without it, so again, Joseph Smith had a chance to do something here with this, but instead he wants to focus on the light, right? Just as he saw the pillar of light, right? So he wants to, you to understand 
that the men who were with Paul indeed saw the light. The King James being translated from the Hebrew Masoretic text only has that they heard a voice but saw no man. But So Joseph Smith wants to make sure you understand they, they heard the voice speaking from the light, right? They saw the light object. They saw the object. They heard the voice of God speaking from it, but they didn't see any man, right? The door must have been closed or something. Okay, and so um, and it's not clear whether Paul saw him or just heard him either, right? Maybe, maybe he didn't see a, a man either here. Okay, and we're afraid, but they heard not the voice of him. Well, then, oh, I guess, yeah, then just he actually then has, but they heard not the voice. So they saw, they saw the object. They saw, the, they all saw the object. They all saw the object. Paul heard the voice, but those who were with him did not hear the voice. But it may be that they didn't see anybody, right? They may not have seen Jesus. The door must have been closed or something. They didn't see, they probably didn't see Jesus. Maybe Paul did, but they didn't see Jesus. They saw the, they saw the object. They saw the object. They did not hear the voice of Jesus speaking to him. And Saul arose from the earth, and when his eyes were opened, he saw no man, because he couldn't see now, right? But they led him by the hand and brought him into Damascus. And he was there three days without sight, neither did eat nor drink. So here's again the symbolism of the three days, three days of darkness, three days of death. Then he'll see as he becomes a resurrected person here, not literally resurrected, but resurrected now as a newborn uh, Christian or a newborn worshiper of, and follower of Jesus Christ. And neither did eat nor drink. In verse 10, and there was a certain disciple at Damascus named Ananias, probably the bishop of, of this place, right, of Damascus. And to him said the Lord in a vision, oh, right, we saw how important that is before. We've seen that many times, right? Had he known his prophet is among you, the Lord will appear to him in, in a dream and speak to him in a vision, right? So there the focus being that this Ananias, whether he's the bishop only, but he's also a prophet. And he's also an apostle because now he's a witness of Jesus Christ. So he spoke to him in a vision, Ananias, and he said, behold, I am here, Lord. And the Lord said unto him, Arise and go into the street which is called Straight, and inquire in the house of Judas for one called Saul of Tarsus, for behold, he prayeth, and has seen in a vision a man named Ananias. So he's already had another vision now. He saw you, Ananias, coming in and putting his hand on him to heal him, that he might receive his sight. Then Ananias answered, Lord, I have heard by many of this man how much evil he had done to thy saints at Jerusalem. He's killing them. He's holding the clothes of those stoning Stephen. He's, you know, he's arresting all these people. And he hath authority from the chief priest to bind all that call on your name. But the Lord said unto him, here we go, watch this. Go thy way, for he is a chosen vessel unto me to bear my name before the Gentiles and kings and the children of Israel. Powerful verse of scripture. So when 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 Ananias comes to Paul, he's going to tell him this, right? So now uh, Paul has done what now? Paul is, has maybe seen Jesus. He's at least heard his voice. He's seen the flying object. He's seen the flying light. He's heard the voice of God, of Jesus Christ speak to him. Saul saw why persecutest thou me. It's hard to kick against the pricks. 
so he's, he's seen that. And now he's going to be told by Ananias, the bishop of the place, that God has chosen him as a chosen vessel to bear his name before the Gentiles. All of them, many, many cities, right? He's going to go to many, many cities and found many churches, right? And before kings and the children of Israel, right? Now, what didn't he say? Did he say, now you're going to also, uh, you're going to do all of this, which is the duty of the 12 apostles, but you're going to be called to the quorum of the 12 as an administrative uh, officer in the church. No, he didn't say that, did he? And this is what's going to lead to uh, Paul's discontent and, and what we're going to see with Paul uh, going after the 12 apostles repeatedly in his epistles because he's thinking now, he's thinking he's seen Jesus. He's now, it fits that criteria of being an apostle. We saw before, to be an apostle, you have to be a witness of the resurrection. Paul is a witness of the resurrection. So therefore, he's, he's, an, he's a spiritual apostle. We looked at this before in the past too. Also, the difference between an administrative apostle having priesthood keys and serving in a quorum of church organization, uh, a, you know, and then the spiritual apostle, which is called by Jesus Christ, usually directly, and uh, and they are to go forward and preach the gospel and bear witness of Jesus Christ. Oftentimes, in, in most cases, they end up serving also as administrative officers in the, in the church of God, uh, but there have been some occasions throughout history where they were not. Paul is going to let this get to him, uh, whether they didn't call him because, uh, you know, maybe they didn't trust him because of all the havoc he had done, uh, to the Christians, maybe they never fully trusted Paul. Uh, we don't know what the answer was, but they, but Paul starts to go out and preach the gospel and do what Jesus asked him to do, being an apostle of Jesus Christ, directly serving Jesus Christ, helping to build up the church independently for being in the church organization, a quorum of the 12 or a quorum of the 70 or any of these general officers of the church. He does this for 14 years. He finally, we get to Galatians. We'll read this when we get to Galatians. Then Paul's going to start thinking, well, maybe they're not fully aware of all the things I've been doing for the church. Maybe they're not aware of all the followers I have and all the all the churches I've built up throughout the world. Maybe I need to go tell them now because uh, I keep seeing, right? I, he keeps seeing an apostle dies or gets killed. They call a new apostle. They don't call Paul. That apostle, you know, and then another apostle dies. They don't call Paul. Another apostle dies. They don't call Paul. Then he keeps seeing the new 70s keep getting called and called and called. And he, he they never call him, right? They never call him. And so he goes out and, and uh, you know, and, you know, he starts calling himself an apostle. We'll see this at the beginning of his letters when we, uh, when we get to his letters, right? He, he attacks the... He attacks the 12 apostles repeatedly in the beginning of his letters there. You know, apostle of Jesus Christ, an apostle called of God, you know, saying that these 12 are just calling, you're just asking each other. They hold the keys. I don't think he would have ever disagreed that they hold the keys in the priesthood, but, you know, in the, in the leadership of the priesthood. Uh, but he's, you know, basically he's going to be saying in the beginning of the epistles that he's been called of God directly. These 12 have just kind of been asking each other to, to serve. So you see these things. He gets so frustrated a couple of times that, you know, the issue about circumcision and whether the, uh, the Gentiles should have to be uh, circumcised or not. 
And the 12 apostles keep saying yes, because we need to keep the law of Moses, right? They grew up culturally as Jews. They think that you should continue to be Jews. And Paul's the one that's going to create Christianity the way it became, that we don't keep the law of Moses. Paul gets so frustrated <laughs> with the 12 apostles. We'll see this coming up. that he basically said, you know, these are circumcised apostles, right? He basically says, you know, I wish they would just cut off their private parts. He gets so frustrated with these guys. But it all goes back to this fact that he's not being called to serve in the quorum of the 12 apostles, which he really thinks he he, he deserves. He should be in there and, and stuff. I think it's a great thing in the Doctrine and Covenants nearly 2,000 years later. In one of the revelations to the prophet Joseph, God calls him Paul, mine apostle. And I think when he saw that or heard about that in the Doctrine and Covenants, it sure made Paul's day because he made a lot of sacrifice and sacrificed a lot of years of his life preaching and teaching the word of God throughout all the known world at that time. And for him to continue to be rejected from being a, called an administrative apostle and being called to the 70 was really unfair and a tragedy in church history okay but nevertheless they didn't say that they didn't they didn't necessarily say you'd be called to be in the 12 anyways right but he has the same responsibility doesn't he he is to be a chosen vessel unto god to bear his name before the gentiles and the kings and the children of israel and he fulfills that completely for I will show him also the things he must suffer for my name's sake. He's going to be shipwrecked a couple of times. He's going to be beaten multiple times. He's going to be stoned to the point they thought he was dead, but somehow gets right back up. You know, it just you know, one suffering after another, right? That he suffers for Jesus Christ. And and seventeen. And Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him, he didn't hit him with a coat and <laughs> some televangelists now you know that hit him with a coat with their take their coat off start whipping people that's not how he did it right he put his hands on his head and Ananias went his way and entered into the house and putting his hands on him said brother Saul the Lord even Jesus that appeared unto thee in the way as thou camest has sent me that thou mightest receive thy sight and be filled with the Holy Ghost and immediately there fell from his eyes as if it had been scales and received sight forwith, and arose and was baptized. And when he had received meat, food, he was strengthened. Then was Saul certain days with the disciples, which were at Damascus. So now he starts being with the disciples in Damascus, starts trying to learn all he can from them. And straight away, as soon as he knew, understood the scriptures enough in terms of the pointing towards Jesus Christ, he begins right away to preach Christ in the synagogues, that he is the Son of God. But all that heard him were amazed and shocked. And they said, is not this he that destroyed them which called on the name of Jesus in Jerusalem? And he even came here for that intent that he might bring them bound to the chief priests in Jerusalem. But Saul increased the more in strength and confounded the Jews which dwelt at Damascus, proving from the Old Testament, the Old Testament scriptures, that this is the very Christ, that Jesus was the very Messiah. And after that, many days were fulfilled. The Jews took counsel to kill him. But their laying away was known of Saul, and they watched the gates day and night to kill him. Then the disciples took him by night and led him down by the wall in a basket. What a great story. And when, Paul, and when Saul was come to Jerusalem, he essayed to join himself to the disciples. So 
Here's his first attempt, right? His first attempt. Later, he's going to go 14 years preaching the gospel. Then he's going to say, maybe I got to go tell these guys, you know, what I've been doing. You know, he goes to Jerusalem uh, in, in Galatians. We'll read how he goes to Jerusalem to talk to James, the brother of Jesus, the, the head of the church, and to Peter and stuff. And to tell him all the great things he's doing, all the Gentiles he's bringing, all the followers he has, all the churches he's building up. Again, thinking maybe they're going to call him to be a member of the 12 apostles if they if they hear us, or at least one of the 70, right? They still don't do it, right? But here's his first attempt, right? Now he is he has said, he says he is said to join himself to disciples. I saw Jesus too, just like you guys. I'm out preaching now, just like you guys. I'm willing to suffer and be persecuted, just like you guys. Let me be one of you, right? They're going to reject him and send him away. Watch this. But they were all afraid of him. And maybe they were always afraid of him. Maybe that's why they didn't call him. But they were all afraid of him and believed not that he was a disciple. They thought maybe he's just pretending. But Barnabas of the 70, and Paul's going to get mad that they're not calling Barnabas either to be a member of the 12, right? So later on, he refers to Barnabas as an apostle, just like he keeps calling himself an apostle. Well, Barnabas probably was a spiritual apostle. He was probably a witness of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, and therefore uh, was a, a spiritual apostle. But Paul always refers to him being being an apostle, right? Uh, but he's never called to the quorum of the twelve. He is called officially as one of the seventy. But Barnabas took him and brought him to the apostles and declared unto them how he had seen the Lord in the way, and that he had spoken to him, and how he had preached boldly at Damascus in the name of Jesus. And he was with them coming in and going out at Jerusalem. And he, Paul, spake boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus and disputed against the Grecians, the Greeks, but they went about to slay him. So he's he's preaching so boldly, he's being, uh, you know, and they want to kill him wherever he's going, right? And now and even in Jerusalem, which when the brethren knew, now watch this. So once they know, you know, they use this as an excuse, right? So uh, Paul's willing to die for Jesus at this point in time. He's willing to be persecuted, right? But they use this as an excuse to get rid of him, right? Because he wants to be one of the 12, right? Who, who made him one of the 12, right? <laughs> you know, this guy trying to go with us in and out of Jerusalem all the time. He's trying to hang out. We can't get rid of this, this Paul. We want to get rid of him. Let's get rid of this guy. Let's use this as an excuse here. And so they send him they send him away here. And uh, uh, when the brethren knew, they brought him down to Caesarea and sent him forth to Tarsus. to get him out as far away as possible so he didn't keep bothering them. Yeah, you know, they keep trying to, to help serve. They, they wanted to serve without Paul. Right? Then had the churches rest throughout all Judea and Galilee and Samaria and were edified and walking in the fear of the Lord and in the comfort of the Holy Ghost were multiplied. And it came to pass as Peter passed through all quarters. He came down also to the saints which dwelt at Lydia. And there he found a certain man named Aeneas, which had kept his bed eight years and was sick of the palsy. And Peter said unto him, so eight years lying there in the bed, Aeneas, Jesus Christ maketh thee whole. Arise, make thy bed. And he arose immediately. And all that dwelt at Lydia and Saren saw him and turned to the Lord because of the miracle. Now there was at Joppa a certain disciple named Tabitha, which by interpretation is called Dorcas. This woman was full of good works and alms deeds, which she did. And it came to pass in those days that she was sick and died, whom when they had washed, they laid her in an upper chamber. So she died, they washed her dead body. 
And for as much as Lydia was nigh to Joppa, and the disciples had heard that Peter was there, they sent unto them two men desiring him that he would not delay to come to them. Then Peter arose and went with them. When he was come, they brought him into the upper chamber, and all the widows stood by him weeping and showing the coats and garments which Dorcas had made while she was with them. She was industrious. But Peter put them all forth and kneeled down and prayed, and turning them to the body, said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand, and he lifted her up. And when he had called the saints and widows, presented her alive. And it was known throughout all of Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And it came to pass that he tarried many days in Joppa with one Simon a tanner. And so there we go. What a great lesson. We've now been introduced to Paul. We see that Peter continues to do miracles. We see that he has the full trust of James. James continues to send him different places to go to go uh, be a faithful apostle and to do great work and to heal and perform healings. And by doing so, he's still continuing to bring a lot of people unto the church. And we've been introduced now to the apostle Paul, who's going to take a prominent role coming up in the weeks in the months to come. What a great lesson. And so uh, once again, we want to issue an invitation directly from the Lord Jesus Christ to those of you who are not yet members of his church and kingdom upon the earth to come, come unto him, come unto your Lord and your God and your Savior. Reject the sins of your life, repent, exercise your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ that he is mighty and powerful to save you from your sins and to welcome you into his heavenly kingdom. We will put in the description of this video a link. Just click on that link. Let the missionaries of the church know you're ready to, to join and be part, to be part of the saints of God. Just as we heard about the heard about the saints of God in the former times, you can be part of the saints of God in these latter days. For those of you who have fallen in activity in the church, we welcome you with full wide open arms to come back. Come back to being members of the saints and community of God as we continue to prepare the world for the returning second coming of the Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Of him we witness to you and to all the world this day. And in closing, we, under the direction of the Holy Ghost and under the direction of the Lord, Savior, Jesus Christ, we bless you. We bless you with health. We bless you with strength. We bless you with comfort. We bless you with peace and joy and happiness in your lives. We bless you to have the basic financial resources to carry out God's will and his plan for you in your life and that you can help one another with your families, with your neighbors, with those you come into contact with. We pray that you have a safe shelter overhead, that you can have peace of mind as you lay down unto the Lord at nighttime and you wake up to a new day of, of being a spirit-filled uh, Christian and Latter-day Saint in these last days. We pray and bless you with these things in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen.